Section 13 of By the Marshes of Minas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. By the Marshes of Minas by Sir Charles G. D. Roberts. Blue Dwarf, Part 2. In leisurely fashion, I stepped to the brink to look down upon my discomfited assailant, whose wrath I hoped would be something cooled by the bath. To my surprise, I saw that he could not swim. A pillow of air beneath his skin coat kept him grotesquely buoyed up for the moment, but he was aimlessly thrashing the water with his long arms, and his set eyes, staring with deadly fear, were fixed upon a point in the rock wall about fifty yards to the left of where I stood. I was puzzled at this. Then I noted that, placid as the pool appeared, there was a current. The dwarf was already several yards away. I craned my neck over the brink to follow his agonizing gaze. I saw a slight, oil-smooth depression there under the rock wall. It was plain the pool had two underground outlets, which probably united somewhere in the bowels of the mountain. Even as I looked, I saw the tawny carcass of the panther I had slain lurch slowly to the surface, just at the lip of that malignant smoothness, then vanish with a kicking plunge, as if snatched by an unseen hand. I understood my enemy's terror. Glancing down upon him with something like compassion, I caught his eye, upturned to mine, with a wild appeal, which would surely have melted me had he been the devil himself. I remembered that great knife darting at my throat. I thought of what might have been the choking clutch, of those huge hideous hands. But it was not to be endured that the creature should go shrieking down that vortex under the rock. I threw off my sword-belt. Courage, I cried to him in French. I'll pull you out, my lad. And over I went. God, but that fair water was cold, cold beyond telling. I shuddered and gasped, and felt for half an instant curiously afraid. Then, with a vexed laugh, I got grip on my nerve again. Half a dozen strokes, and I was up to my adversary. Just out of reach of his long, struggling arms, I paused. "'Keep still,' I ordered sternly. "'Don't touch me. I'll save you.' The threshing stopped. Swimming around behind him, I seized him by the neck of his jacket, and struck out for shore, aiming at a point some five rods farther up, where the cliff was broken down sufficiently to afford a landing. Not till I tried to swim against it did I realize the force of the glassy current which was drawing us so noiselessly toward that horrible pit. There seemed a cruel magic in it, or possibly it was the depressing influence of the cold and of the strange ghostly twilight now settling upon the pool that deadened my forces. The light, seeming to wave across the water as an enchantment, was a mingling of the sunset's amber-green with pinkish rays of a distorted moon just rising through the hilltop firs through this elvish atmosphere i swam painfully slowly and with something of a panic dread close upon my heels when we reached the broken rocks 
I know not which, the dwarf or I, was in the greater haste to climb ashore. It never occurred to me that there could be anything more to be dreaded from the creature I had just saved, but I was not prepared for the idolatrous fervor with which, as soon as we had both gained the top of the rocks, he threw himself at my feet, looking up at my face, his mouth wide with a grin, which was now sheer ecstasy. He fawned upon me like a dog. "'Master, I didn't know you were good,' he cried in a voice that was soft and sweet, but a French that was so barbarous I could scarce comprehend it. I thought you wished to hurt Ren, my mistress. I was angry when you killed Ren's tiger. But now I know you have the kind heart.' and will take care of Ren better than I and the tiger could. Forgive me, master. His hideous face looked kindly and gently now, and so like that of some faithful but miraculously blue-faced dog, that I have expected him to lick the hand that I put forth to raise him. Get up, lad, said I, slightly laughing. You are only trying to protect your mistress, so we'll let bygones be bygones. I fear I shall have to beg you and your mistress to protect me before many hours go by. Take me to her, pray. She is here, monsieur, and has no words to thank as you deserve for the rescue of her loved and faithful servant, said a clear, sweet voice at my side. It was the French of gentlefolk. I turned, my veins thrilling with pleasure and surprise. The lady of the ravine was beside me but to my great sorrow I was compelled to kill another favorite of yours, mademoiselle, I cried. Your great panther gave me a most inhospitable greeting. Will you forgive me? Poor kitten, she exclaimed, a sadness in her voice. And then, with a faint smile, he was apt to be hasty with strangers. You, monsieur, came especially within the eye of his anger by reason of your red coat, he had been taught from a cub to spring upon and tear a red coat. But what is this protection you ask of such poor and lonely folk as Bebe and me? Devout as I was in the sanctity of the air with which her loveliness and gentleness enclosed her, I could not but smile at the name which so exquisitely misbecame her sturdy and horrible-visaged servitor. A gleam of answering amusement flashed for a second into the serious wide intentness of her gaze, showing the chances of mirth beneath the Madonna calm. But I spoke only of my plight. I see plainly that you cannot help me, that I should only involve you in my own ruin, said I. Therefore I must bid you farewell and hasten onward. In truth this resolution came hard, for I felt that the neighborhood of this mysterious maiden, this aristocrat of the wilderness, who kept panthers trained to tear red coats, and blue-faced dwarfs to leap upon unbidden visitors, was where my desire was straightly tethering me. Moreover, I had, in fact, no great fear of the savages, for I flattered myself I had thrown them quite off the trail. "'You shall not evade my hospitality so, monsieur,' she replied, quietly positive. "'Bear in mind that we are solitary here, and having killed the poor kitten, you owe us at least some entertainment. 
Tell me your peril, and that will tell me what brings you to the shunned valley of Belmere. A word explains it all, mademoiselle, said I. I am an English officer. The ship on which I was voyaging from Boston to Halifax was wrecked on your coast last night. I alone escaped to land. A band of savages discovering my footsteps on the sandy beach have followed me, coveting the price of my scalp. I think I have outwitted them, but if not, they must be here within the hour. I must be gone, or their ferocity will turn upon you. And bowing low, I set my face toward the northward steep. Stay, monsieur, she said, putting her hand upon my dripping sleeve to detain me, whereat I stopped perforce. No Indian will dare to molest you here. The dwarf, who had been crouching at our feet, his long arms spread raptly up into our faces, arose nimbly. Redskins! he muttered with scorn, very humanly oblivious to the peculiarities of his own complexion, and waddled swiftly to fetch my sword and belt. Clearly my hosts had nothing to fear from the savages, even if they should come to Belmare. "'Then I am most gladly and gratefully at your service, most gracious one,' said I. Side by side, the dwarf at our heels, we walked up through the sweet-smelling shrubs, toward the lawn before the cottage porch. With the whitening moonlight, the air of the valley grew chill, but there was no mist. The clearness was, somehow, like that of a magic crystal. The common world of men was eternities behind me. The grave, beautiful girl at my side, in the green gown that seemed to melt into the leafage, was half enchantress, half child, but all a queen, a queen of fairies. I, a sober New Englander, an officer in the Royal Army, with a substantial estate in New Hampshire, and certain substantial and circumspect kinsfolk in Boston, was burning to lay all my substance and respectability at her little moccasined feet. Oh, it was sorcery, doubtless! How painfully unusual the blue dwarf would look on Beacon Street! I pinched myself hard, and listened for some sound that might awake me from the delusion of all my other senses. There was no sound save a remote, obscure, sucking gurgle, where the glassy water of Belmare went down the sink. I turned for refuge to the sound of my own voice. Mademoiselle Rennes, I said, why did you— My name is Lise she interrupted, smiling. Ren is but Bebe's name for me. I know not which is the more supremely fitting, I rejoined, or whether you be most a queen or most a flower. This was not the direction of escape to explain sanity. So I continued, Tell me then, O queen of lilies, why that amiable panther who fell upon my sword point had been taught by you to rent a scarlet coat? It was my father taught him, she answered. He came here years ago, bringing Bebe and me, a child of six. Since then, monsieur, with the exception of my dear father, you are the only man of my own kind, of gentle breeding, I mean, whom I have seen. My father had suffered some great wrong at the hands of the English soldiery, I know not what, but it was ever on his mind. 
and when Bebe found the panther cub, my father brought it up so that it might kill an English soldier if ever it should see one. To us the kitten was gentle and loving. My father died three years ago. He was a great scholar. He taught me. Since his death I have been most wretched. But my faithful Bebe takes care of me. I have my harp, my books, and some day, if the saints permit, I shall go back into the wonders of the great world. The great world, mademoiselle, contains no such wonder as yourself, I exclaimed. As we came at this moment to the cottage door, she made no reply to this blunt assault, but welcomed me sweetly over the threshold. There was no hallway. I found myself at once in a small but well-appointed living-room. The broad moonlight, flooding through two windows, showed books all about the walls, a settee and low chair or two draped with skins, and a gilded harp beside the open fireplace. Through a doorway on the left came a warm, wavering light from the kitchen hearth. "'Well, have you called the place Belmere, mademoiselle?' said I, intoxicated with the beauty of herself and this her little kingdom of dream. Before she could reply, there came a long hail across the water, and she laughed softly. "'There they are, your Indian friends, monsieur,' she exclaimed. "'You do not find our Acadian savages so easy to throw off the trail.' A wave of horrible misgiving passed over me. What if the bloodthirsty wretches should, after all, turn upon her? I felt for my sword-hilt. "'Are you sure, mademoiselle?' I pleaded in a voice, whose intensity must have told her more than the words could, that they will not harm or annoy you. Unless you are quite sure, I will go out and give myself up at once.' "'Oh, hush!' she cried, putting out her hand with a little detaining gesture, which made my heart jump. I mean, certainly they will not harm me, or you, or Bebe, or this place. Only they will delay supper. And you are wet and hungry, she added lightly. Meanwhile the dwarf, stepping out upon the moonlit grass, had answered the hail with a peculiar cry. Is the good panther tied up, father? came the question in broken French. It is dead. You can come in safety, answered the dwarf. The sounds carried like bell-notes on the clear air. "'Will they come in here? Will they see you?' I asked, still doubtful. "'No, Bebe will talk to them, and send them away,' said she. "'They think him a kind of god, and almost worship his poor blue face.' "'What will he tell them?' I questioned. "'We will stand here at this side of the window, where they can't see us,' she replied." taking my hand in her soft little fingers and bestowing me in the spot she thought fitting and you shall hear for yourself just what my good bebe may decide to say i leave all these things to his sagacity the squat monster took on a new interest in my eyes but as i looked at him waiting there in the moonlight with a grotesque dignity that made me feel like the spectator of an acted fairy tale i was conscious of one thing most real that was the slight bewildering warmth of her bare arm as she stood close to my side that just then was the great thing the approaching savages hungry for my scalp were an episode 
we stood in a pulsing eloquent silence as the savages came trotting in single file along the river of the pool and up the slope a full score of them in their paint and feathers not a word was said as they came up four or five paces from the motionless dwarf they stopped ranging themselves in a semicircle before him and waited well said bebe in a tone which meant go on say what you want the leader held out his hand palm up with a gesture of deference the wise father knows said he that we seek the stranger the englishman our enemy yes said bebe coldly let not the wise father be angry went on the savage orator is the stranger here he is in the house answered the dwarf with deliberate calm will not the wise father send him forth to us he is ours urged the redskin the dwarf seemed suddenly to tower and a great voice came from him that filled all the valley fools rang the trumpet of his throat he is not yours he is mine would you bid me betray my guest the semicircle seemed to shrink each man drawing closer to his fellow then the dwarf's voice softened grew tender and persuasive sit and i will talk to you a little said he instantly they squatted themselves upon their haunches knees up nearly to their chins attentive obedient utterly ridiculous figures stiff as wooden images their eyes full of awe followed the dwarf as he moved slowly to and fro from one tip of the crescent to the other fixing each indian in turn with his magnetizing stare listen my children he began at length and i will tell you all that i may not seem to do you any injustice my great white father who was gathered to his fathers three winters back and who was ever your kind friend left behind him in his own country a sister who was married to an englishman that sister had a son a boy in those days he grew to manhood and became a great warrior among the english our enemies but he is len's cousin my children the stranger whom you pursue is that englishman my white father's sister's son len's cousin he paused dramatically the savages grunted comprehension i turned to the girl full of wonder at such readiness her eyes were shining her lips parted the tale did not displease her presently the dwarf resumed his harangue gravely gesticulating the stranger no stranger but our close kin i saw Ren smile at this stupendous claim was on his way to find us when the storm overwhelmed his ship he escaped you followed thirsting for his innocent blood here the voice again awoke the echoes over the water had you slain him he stopped and in his silence there was a menace at which his red listeners shuddered even i felt the threat then his voice grew gentle again but you did not know my children and i forgive you the englishman will rest here with us till the moon of the morning hoarfrost I looked at my beautiful companion, and her eyes said yes to the surprising statement. Then, for a time, he will take us to Ren's people, and his people. I thrilled wildly at this. I have a mother who would love you, 
"'May I?' I whispered, and got no direct denial. "'Then, my children, he will marry Ren, and we will come back to Belmere and to you, and be good to you in the hard winters when the salmon and the bear's meat run low. The saints guard you. Farewell.' and waving them off, he turned in squat majesty back to the house. As one in a dream, I saw the savages rise and file away like shadows. But that was irrelevant. My head was humming, my heart thumping, at that last wildly sweet picture. I turned to Ren, but she was no longer at my side. She stood at the door, a suggestion of ice in the calm of her fine profile. Mademoiselle Lise, I began in a low voice, do not crush me for my presumption, but I swear to you before God that if this strange fellow prove not a true prophet, then life is of no more worth to me. She did not turn her head, but she answered coldly, His presumption trespasses beyond all pardon, monsieur. He shall be punished, but I beg you to think no more of his folly. I shall never cease to think of it, Mademoiselle Reine, I murmured. Then I forbid you to speak of it, Monsieur, she retorted severely. The dwarf, meanwhile, had come in, thrown himself down upon the floor, and was looking up at us with fidelity in his yellow eyes, and a dog-like grin on his astounding mouth. Reine paid no heed to him. She was angry and her small brown fingers were knotted hard in the yellow shawl. "'If you are angry at me, mademoiselle,' I said, "'there is nothing for me to do but make my farewells at once and go.' She turned quickly, and the anger died out of her face, to leave only a mirthful spark behind it. "'Yes, monsieur, go and betray Bebe's wicked lying to the savages, and get us all killed,' she exclaimed. Oh, no, you are not to blame, poor gentleman. You could not in courtesy say less than you have said to save my blushes. Believe me, I remember it not, save as showing you can be most courteous to a maid when her servant has shamed her. But I desire you to prove him a true prophet in this, monsieur, that you will rest here with us at Belmere till the moon of the morning hoar-frost. I bowed gravely. I will accept your gracious hospitality, Mademoiselle Lise, said I, for as long as my duties will permit, and long enough, I trust, to persuade you to let me carry farther the question of Bebe's gift in prophecy. Her chin went up in the air. You will make me repent of my courtesy to you, monsieur, she said. Pardon me, pardon me, Mademoiselle. I will set guard upon my lips, I murmured. But the dwarf, seeing that his adored mistress had turned her back upon us both, rolled upon me a yellow glance of droll encouragement. "'Lad,' said I, holding out my hand to him, "'right well have you repaid to me that little debt not yet an hour old. I thank you for my life.' "'And hope,' I added under my breath. End of Section 13 Blue Dwarf Part 2